0: Well, good morning, Rock Hills. It is so good to be back with you guys. I cannot even begin to tell you guys how good it is to be back here. I will say that nothing will make you appreciate America more than leaving America for a few weeks and then coming back. It is so good to be back in the United States, but it is so good to be back at Our church, with our church family, and to see you guys—those of you who we know well, and those of you who are just—we're just getting to know—it is an honor to be back with you guys. Uh, And also, uh, like Stephen said, our students just got back last night. Big round of applause for our high school students. And uh, a lot of you think, "Oh, they went on a trip and did some mission work. That's great." I went with them last year. These students work their tails off to serve other people the whole week that they're gone. And so I'm really proud of you guys. Matt Angiano went with them to help them out. And thank you, Stephanie, for all your hard work in putting that together. We've got a great team. Also, we've got a, a really cool thing coming up. We've got our impact team going to Honduras uh, this weekend. And if you've been around here, you know we've got a team that goes and, and does that every year. But this year, it's just worked out, it's, it's quite a few fathers and sons that are going. And so uh, it's, it's just a really neat dynamic that God has put together. So at the end of the service, we're going to be praying over that team. So it's just been road trips everywhere. Josh, our worship leader, is out on his honeymoon. Some of you guys have probably been traveling, going, or coming, or you've got something coming up. Or if you happen to be in town today for the 4th of July... You chose to worship with us. We just want to say that we are glad that you guys are here worshiping with us today. And uh, just for us, it was quite a journey. And I'm not going to be the uh, guy who puts up a slideshow and gives you a thousand one pictures of China on our journey there. But uh, it was quite a journey to go to China and back. Extremely long flights. Extremely long days. Uh, lots of waiting and paperwork and all that sort of stuff for you guys who don't know we were in the process of an adoption and uh, we officially have a new person here at Rock Hills today and that is our son Nate he is back there in the back and so welcome Nate it's his first time to be in a church service like this, I mean, they don't have this over there, and so uh, this this is his first time uh, to be able to do something like that. But I just want to take a second uh, to brag on him. He's a very funny kid. He's smart, and I believe that he has a great future ahead of him. I also want to give you guys just a little disclaimer. As his church family, he is blind, and so if you see somebody walking around with a cane, that's him. He can hear just fine, so you don't have to yell. You can just talk in a normal voice and say, Hi, Nate, and uh, he is learning English at an unbelievable rate. Uh, Really, since we've been home these last few days, all he's had is English, and he's picking it up really quick. Even he's 13 years old um, and lived in China all of his life, but he's picking up English really quick, uh, so we're really proud of him. But there is still some language barrier, so as you guys can imagine, Um, Maybe you can't because I can't. I can't imagine all that he's processing of just everything in my world has just changed. He's gone from never having had a family to now he has a family. Everybody speaks Chinese to now everybody's speaking English and the food is different and everything has changed. So he's on quite a bit of a learning curve. And I will say... That we are working with him on things that are socially acceptable and things that are not socially acceptable, and so we're in the process of learning those things. And so, just to give you guys a heads up on that, but just to give you a heads up on that, I'm still learning things that are socially acceptable <laughs> and not socially acceptable. Right? My wife has to remind me sometimes. You shouldn't do that in public, honey. No, not really. But uh, I, I will say that we've had a, a few moments of panic, just going. Oh, Jesus, we need your help in this. But we know that God has led us to this, and we know that uh, God has put all of this together. And so we're excited to see what God has ahead for us as a family, what God has ahead for him as an individual, what God has ahead for us as the body of Christ. And even as uh, we just went through some of those emotions, and we tried to help him through some of those emotions this last week, uh, it's just God's grace that reminds me of... uh, what, what a great honor it is to be a part of a family. when I realize you know he's 13 years old and he's never been a part of a family before, and that, that takes some learning. And as, as I'm doing that, uh, I'm realizing he doesn't totally understand what that means and how to behave in a family. And as I'm praying through that, I'm encouraged as a, a pastor as well, because I think of us as a church family. and I always want this to be a place. Where people who have never been a part of a family can feel welcome to come and be a part of a family in Rock Hills Church. Where people who have never known what it is to have a father can come and find a father here in this place. But we have to remember at the same time, when people have never known what it means to be a part of a family, they've never had a father, a lot of times they don't know how to act or react. They may say the wrong things or do the wrong things. But God help us, I always want this to be that kind of church where people who they don't know how to be Christian, they can come and find the love of God in this place. And they can come and week by week by week, they can grow closer and closer to the Father and understand what it means to be a part of His family. And so that's my prayer for Nate. That's my prayer for us as a church, is that that would be the kind of church that this is um, and he he, uh, he gets frustrated sometimes with the language barrier and the culture barrier, you know. And so he will let let us know, and he might even let us know in the middle of service what he wants or doesn't want. So just to give you guys a heads up on that. But one thing that I've been so encouraged by is in the midst of everything, he does know how to cry out, Father, Father, Father. And so I always want us to be that kind of people as well, that maybe your life is going good, maybe your life is falling apart, but that we, we could be the kind of people that would cry out. If we don't know what else to do, we can cry out, Father, 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 and that we can trust that our Father will be there for us. Would you guys pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence and your Holy Spirit that fills this room today. Father, we thank you for a church where we can come and freely worship you, Father, without the fear of of being caught or or being imprisoned or punished, Father, for having the opportunity to worship you today. And Lord, we want you to speak to us, Father. We treasure your words and your presence in this place. Thank you for the opportunity to worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to continue in our summer road trip series, and we've been going through a bit of a road trip here is a church. The first stop we stopped over at Uncle Dave's house. We had Dave Lance here with us, so he got to share with us. And the next week, you guys stopped over at Stephenville. And I thanks Stephen for sharing with you guys. And uh, then you got two weeks in Albuquerque. All right. Sorry for the bad jokes. You got two weeks with Uncle Al who came and shared with you guys on Father's Day and his birthday. And so I I just want to say thank you to our elders and our team uh, for covering and doing such a great job. But we're going to continue our trip. And any great trip has some elements to it. You know, there's the preparation. You're getting ready. You've got to pack and you go through the list. Do I have everything I'm supposed to take? You load up the car. You've got to do the Tetris in the back or whatever to get everything to fit. Finally, you're on the road and you get to that destination that you maybe you've been planning for it for a long time and it's great to be able to be on vacation, to get away, to unplug. But there's also all that space in between, whether it's a long road trip, a short road trip, or you're on a 15-hour flight like we had coming from Hong Kong to Newark, and it's just that long period in between. It's that waiting in the middle where if you've had younger kids at any point in your life, or maybe even the older kids, you're in the middle of that, you know, it's an hour to the next town, and all of a sudden, you're probably just 10 minutes out of town, and you hear from the back seat, are we there yet? Right within kids, there's that Deal of okay, we're going somewhere, but we're not there yet. And I want to know, are we almost there? Because I'm ready to be there. But maybe even as an adult, I know sometimes when we go on road trips, I usually like to drive the whole thing. But at some point in the middle of that drive, I'm just sitting there watching the lines go by, go by, go by. And I've been behind this 18 wheeler for what seems like two hours now, just looking at the same logo on the back of this truck, you know. And with it, within even me, I can go. Are we there yet? And that's where I want to go today. Because in every one of our walks with God, your life with the Lord, you've got that point where we go, are we there yet? Because you had some sort of starting point. Or you had some sort of call or something you were pursuing after where you felt like God was calling you to move in this direction. And then there's eventually the place where you get to where God has called you to be. But in between, there is waiting. And there can be that season of you going, are we there yet? And here's the truth that's kind of hard to take sometimes, is that season of waiting on God is crucial for your life. For you to become the person that God created you to be, it's crucial that we have those seasons. But the truth is, in our culture, you and I, right, we don't like to wait on anything. We like instant, and technology and innovation are good, but technology and innovation keep making things faster and faster and faster, and it can be difficult to wait. Really, our trip to China from plane rides on one end and on the other and all in between seem to just be one long series of waiting for the next thing, whether it's waiting in this line to go through immigration, this line to get on the flight when you're waiting on the plane for the plane to take off or when we're in China or we're waiting on this paperwork or that appointment. It seemed to be just waiting, waiting, waiting so that we could get on to the next thing. And waiting can be frustrating, right? If you're in the grocery store, what do you do when you're checking out? You look for the shortest line, right? Because nobody wants to wait behind the person that's got three baskets of groceries, Right? We look for the shortest line. When you're in traffic, if you can make a move so that you can get two cars ahead and wait just a few seconds less, a lot of times we do that because we don't like waiting. If you're at the doctor's office and you've got to sit there and wait, we don't like that waiting in life. You know, I think one of the greatest innovations of this last generation is the DVR right? I mean, just the ability, whatever you're watching, oh, the commercial's on, bloop, bloop, bloop. You can just fast forward right through that thing, right? Or I I like doing this with football sometimes even, you know, you just go on to the next play, boom, boom, boom. You can watch the whole game in a short amount of time just because you're able to fast forward through the parts that you don't want to see. Wouldn't it be great if we had the the, DVR for life? You know, if you had a DVR where you could just fast forward through the parts, that you didn't want, right? Like if you could have a DVR here at church and you could just, all right, you guys have a great week. See y'all next week. (laughs) Who pressed the button, right? I mean, if we could have a DVR for the things in life that we, I really don't feel like this. This makes me uncomfortable. This is hard. This is a hard season in life. I just want to fast forward and get to the next part. But I think we intuitively all know that it wouldn't be a great idea. That if we were able to skip over those parts of our lives, we would really be missing something that we're supposed to have. Because it's in those seasons in your life that aren't comfortable and aren't easy where God develops your spirit and God develops your mind and the way you see things and the way you treat other people and the way you understand the world as He created it. It's in those seasons of waiting that God shapes us and builds character within us. However, there's an extra layer of complexity For those of you who are people of faith, those of you who follow Christ, and I understand maybe not every one of you here today would call yourself a Christian, and whether you call yourself a Christian or not, you still have to deal with waiting in life. You still have to deal with those things, whether we're talking about your job or relationships or whatever. You go through seasons of waiting. We all have to deal with that. But for those of you who call yourselves Christians, The extra layer of complexity is when we go through those seasons of waiting in our lives, we can begin to doubt God's plan. Right? We feel like God wanted us to do something, and then it gets a little bit tough, and we're waiting, and we don't ever know when we're going to get there, and we start to think, maybe I didn't hear God right. Or maybe this whole thing is just a fluke, or maybe my church is whack, or whatever it is. We begin to doubt God in those seasons. Maybe some of you are there right now. God, am I ever going to meet the right person? God, am I ever going to get that job? God, will this pain ever go away? Is this marriage ever going to turn around? We're in that season of waiting. Are we there yet? And it's easy to doubt God in those seasons. I think that we could all think of our lives and we can think of people that we know That have a great relationship with God and we can all look at their lives and go, yep, they went through this season of waiting and this season of waiting and this season of waiting. And we can see how God changed their lives in those seasons. Just like it's true in their life, it's true in your life. In those seasons of waitings, God can do so many great things in our lives. The Bible is full of these people, right? Abraham and Sarah, they're waiting expectantly on a child. Jacob waits for Rachel to become his wife. Joseph waits patiently in prison to be released. John the Baptist also waited patiently in prison and was never released except by death, but he's waiting there. Noah, he's waiting for the flood to show up forever, and then the flood shows up and he's waiting for the flood to go away. There's disciples who are waiting in the upper room, and then there's Jesus who is waiting for his ultimate mission to be fulfilled as he dies on the cross for each one of us. We can look at all of these people and say in those seasons of waiting God did something wonderful in their lives. Waiting is a part of life. There's an undeniable relationship between waiting and our lives being transformed. The road trip of our lives has a starting point and a destination, but in between there's a lot of waiting and waiting some more and waiting in another line and waiting For another thing. You see, God has a promise for your life. And God has a payoff for that promise. In other words, that promise being fulfilled. There's a promise and there's a payoff. But in between, there's a price to be paid. There's the waiting that has to be done. There's the faith that has to say, God, I'm going to hold on even though I don't feel like it right now. I'm going to hold on to your promises. I want us to take a look today How this plays out in the life of one individual. Uh, We're going to look in the book of 1 Kings. We're going to start in chapter 18. And this is kind of a a strange story, especially if you're not familiar with the Bible. Uh, And I feel like I say that a lot, especially when we're talking about the Old Testament. But there's a lot of really strange stories in there. But part of the reason is it's a different culture. When we were in China, there were a lot of strange behaviors that we saw. But it's part of their culture. They come over here, they probably think, you guys are really, really weird, right? Because we live in a different culture than they do. So as we look at this, we're, we're going to see some things that we go, man, that's a little bit different. But it's part of the Old Testament culture. And so I want you guys to check this out. I'm going to give you just a little bit of a backstory here. Uh, we're looking at a guy named King Ahab. He's one of the main characters in this story. And King Ahab is a bad dude. King Ahab does a lot of bad things, and really it all stems from the fact that instead of choosing to worship the one true God and lead the people to choose to lead the, worship the one true God, he chooses to worship a God named Baal and leads all the people of Israel to worship this same God named Baal. He has many prophets, over 450 prophets, and they're all doing all kinds of strange stuff throughout the, the book of 1 Kings here. But in the midst of this, God still has one prophet. and It's a guy named Elijah. And he sends Elijah to Israel to say, hey, heads up. God is going to send a famine to the nation of Israel. There's going to be no rain. All of the livestock are going to be in trouble. All of your crops are going to be in trouble because this, this famine is going to dry up the land. And you guys need to be prepared. And all these guys, King Ahab and all the prophets, they just say, Hey, you're a crazy old man. We don't worship that God anymore. Go away. Right? So that's what uh, Elijah did, and that's how he interacted with King Ahab. And so he does that. Three years go by, and there's a tremendous famine, and there's a tremendous drought, just as Elijah said. So Elijah shows back up three years later, and he says, Hey, remember me, right? The guy who came and told you that this was going to happen. All of your people are suffering and hurting. And I told you that this was going to happen and nobody wanted to listen to me. Are you ready to listen to me now? How you like me now, right? So he shows up. Here's King Ahab and all his prophets. Here's the one prophet of God, Elijah. And he says, now you have to listen to me. Because everything I told you three years ago is destroying your nation And now you need to listen. So here's what's going to happen. They're going to have a showdown to say, okay, who should we really listen to? As if it wasn't proven enough already over the last three years by what happened. That's where we're going to pick up in this story. Some of you are going to be familiar with this story. 1 Kings 18, 20 through 24. So Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel and basically said, hey, we're going to settle this right here and right now. Then Elijah stood in front of them and said, How much longer will you waver, hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. But the people were completely silent. And I just want to say that's an awful feeling if you're speaking to people. You're saying something, you feel passionate about it. Here's what I'm supposed to say, and everybody's just... And that's what he got, right? Then Elijah said to them, I am the only prophet of the Lord who is left, but Baal has 450 prophets. So here's what we're going to do, verse 23. Now bring two bulls. The prophets of Baal may choose whichever one they wish, cut them into pieces, lay them on the wood of the altar without setting fire to it. I will repair the other bull, lay it on the wood of the altar, and not not set it on fire. Then call on the name of your God. I will call on the name of the Lord." The God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God, and all the people agreed. So all of a sudden now they're like, okay, yeah, this sounds like a great church service. I'd love to see that, you know, fire coming down from the sky and barbecue. I mean, it doesn't get much better than that, right? I mean, so they're excited about this. So Baal's guys go first. They get prophets out there. They do all kinds of crazy stuff. They're asking Baal to come and light it up, and nothing happens. Then Elijah come, and he raises the bar. He says, no, I don't, I don't want to just go and pray. Here's what we're going to do. He says, pour water on it, pour more water on it, pour more water on it. So this thing is just drenched in water, and then Elijah prays. He prays just a simple prayer and asks God to respond, and fire comes down from the sky and consumes it all. I mean, not just a little fire. It destroys it. Everything totally consumes it. So as you can imagine, you may be familiar with that story, and we're going to stop there on that story, but it's a great story. I encourage you to read it. It's uh, in 1 Kings 18. But as you can imagine, this was a highlight for Elijah, right? He is a prophet of God. In other words, God speaks to him. He goes and speaks to the people. And for years, he's been speaking to the people, and hardly anybody will listen to him, right? So here's here's a guy who shows up. Gets rejected. Shows up. Gets rejected. Shows up. Gets rejected. Some of you may feel like I can identify with that guy, right? So that's what he's been used to doing. And all of a sudden, he shows up and he prays for God to send fire and God sends fire. And it says the entire nation was there. So Elijah is now a hero, right? He's got his own TV show. He's got a book deal. He's signing autographs afterwards, right? Everything that he's always hoped for has all of a sudden culminated and come to pass he has arrived at the destination right the place that he felt like God was calling him to be the person that he felt like God wanted him to be and created him to be right so just a parallel at that vacation that you have always wanted that road trip you've always wanted you've been saving for years for planning for you're finally at that destination that Is where he's at right now. But before he got to the destination, before we get to chapter 18, there was chapter 17. So we're gonna flip back one page to chapter 17 and we're gonna look at the Are We There Yet? Because before Elijah got to that crowning moment, he had to go through a season, a long season. Season, day after day after day, where he's going, are we there yet? God, how can I keep going? How can I keep trusting in you? First Kings 17, 1 through 4. Now Elijah, who is from Tishba and Gilead, told King Ahab, As surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, I, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain for the next few years until I give the word. Then the Lord said to Elijah. Go to, the, go to the east and hide by Kerith Brook, near, near where it enters the Jordan River. Drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you, for I have commanded them to bring you food. So, Elijah had gone to King Ahab, he predicted this, he gets rejected, so God says, okay, I'm going to take care of you, but here's what you need to do, run. Run and hide, because these guys are going to kill you for what you just prophesied over them so he runs and he hides out in the forest right by this this brook and he's living in a cave or whatever so this is a great moment of obedience for Elijah because he's in this spot where he has to now go hide in the wilderness and there's no highlights in this moment he's he's hanging on for dear life and he doesn't know that it's going to turn out very well but essentially God says hey I'm going to take care of you I'm going to feed you. There's going to be water to drink out there. You're going to be all right. So Elijah does it. He goes. He hides there. Verses 5 and 6 say, So Elijah did as the Lord told him and camped beside Kareth Brook east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat each morning and evening, and he drank from the brook. So he's like Dr. Doolittle out there, right? I mean, that's not too bad of a deal. He's, He's camping out there, and every day some birds show up and... Dropped some food for him. Doesn't sound that appetizing, but he was taken care of, right? And he's got a brook that he's able to drink from. So he's able to sustain himself out there. And um, you may remember this story from growing up, you know, as you heard how this battle took place. But it's what happens before when he's just stuck at this brook that really God develops his character and God calls him on to this next place. You know, I think a lot of times I've I've heard the phrase that being in the middle of God's will is the safest place to be. And we could easily say that right here, Elijah's in the middle of God's will. He did exactly what God told him to do, but it's not safe and it's not comfortable. And I, I I would even dare argue with that statement. Being in the middle of God's will is the best place to be But God never says it's going to be safe. God never says it's going to be easy. It's never the easy road to take. But as we take that road, God will develop us and shape us. Being in the middle of God's will is the right place to be. But it's not the safest place to be. Following Jesus is the right thing to do. But it's not the easiest thing to do. And here's where it gets really hard. 1 Kings 17.7 But after a little while, the brook dried up for there was no rainfall anywhere in the land. Wait. Didn't God tell Elijah to go and camp out there and that God was going to take care of him? He did. And day after day after day he saw that brook dry up until he wasn't taken care of anymore. If I'm Elijah, I'd be going, what's the deal? You know I told you I told you I'd do what you wanted me to do, God, and here I am. And now the brook is drying up. Every day it dries up a little more. You see, this brook was his source of hope. This brook was his source of life. And I would imagine that he gets desperate at this point. You see, as we start waiting and we start waiting too long, we begin to get desperate. We begin to get to that place where we feel like I can't take it anymore. I'll be honest with you, there's been some moments in these last few weeks as we stepped into this and we go, oh, God, what what did we get ourselves into? And then we're reminded of the calling of God on our lives and what God has led us to do and what God has ahead. But there are moments when we kind of panic a little bit and go, oh, God, did we do the right thing? When you're on that long flight that's 15 hours and you feel like you can't take it anymore and you're looking at that exit door just thinking, I could just rip the door off. I could do it. I could just go and invite everybody to jump off with me. You know, you get to that moment where you feel like you're panicking because I can't wait anymore. But then I also hit moments over this last few weeks in our journey where I say, stop feeling sorry for yourself, Adam. You're tired of waiting on a plane or you're having a panic in a moment. And I've got this young man right here who's waited for 13 years wondering, will I ever have a family? And I think I'm tired of sitting on a plane, but he's waited. He's seen friends come and he's seen friends go, you know, and they've got a family. And he's even expressed, will, will a family ever come and get me? And he's waited year after year after year. I can't imagine if I was in his shoes, I could have given up on God. And God said, it's never going to happen. You may have hit that place where you've said to yourself, God, I thought that this was going to be different. I thought that you told me to move to San Antonio and this is not what I expected. I thought that you told me to marry this person and I feel like I'm uh, I'm living in torture right now. I thought, God, that you told me to turn that job down and no other doors have opened up. What are you doing, God? I'm trying to trust you, but it's really hard to trust you right now because I feel like the brook is is drying up every day. Do you even have a clue what I'm going through right now, God? Have you ever felt like that? I know that I've felt like that at seasons in my life. And I want to say this. I think sometimes God will lead you to a brook and ask you to wait, and then God will let the brook dry up. And that's hard because none of, us, none of us want to wait in the first place. None of us want to have to drink out of a brook in the first place. But then if God lets that brook dry up that he led you to, that's hard. Why would God do that? When I look at my own life and I look at the life of Elijah here, I don't want to presume, but I think sometimes God does that to get my attention. To say, I will be your God, I will be your everything. Because I have a tendency in my flesh to look at the gift instead of the giver and get distracted by it. And God wants my attention. 1 Kings 17, 8 and 9. Then the Lord said to Elijah, and we don't know how long that then represents. Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go and live in the village of Zarephath near the city of Sidon. I will instruct a widow there to feed you. It's in the season of waiting and wondering that God shapes us. God lets the brook dry up sometimes before He moves in our lives. He does that so that He can have our attention. It's necessary in those seasons of waiting when we feel like everything is going to fall apart, when we feel like we're hurting so bad that we can't go on anymore, to be reminded that there is a God who has a destination And a purpose for us. So when that brook dries up, he's reminding us, I am the Lord Almighty and I will move in your life. I have a purpose and a plan for your life. I have a purpose and a plan for this child that was adopted, for this family, for your family. For those of you who are struggling with your kids or with parent relationships and you feel like I can't do it anymore. God has a plan. And God has a purpose, and he's asking you in those seasons of waiting, in those seasons of hurting, when it feels like the brook is drying up, to keep hanging on, when you feel like you're just screaming, are we there yet? I can't go another hundred miles. I can't go another hour in this airplane. Are we there yet? That there is a destination ahead of you, and that he is with you through every step of the journey. We are easily tempted to want God's power, but not His calendar. We want to see God move in our families. We want to see God move on the trips that we go to, our mission trips. We want to see God move in our kids, but sometimes we want it on our calendar and not God's calendar. If you want God's power, you got to be willing to accept it on His calendar as well. We want His promise, but we don't always want His process. You want to see what God's doing in your life fulfilled. But you also have to be willing to say, God, come and do that in me however you want to do that in me. You see, we see waiting as a waste of time. But I want you to leave here today knowing that in God's con- economy, waiting is never a waste of time. It's an opportunity for God to move in your heart. So are we there yet as individuals? Are we there that yet as a church? No, we're far from it. But God has a promise for your life and God has a promise for this church. God is going to use this church to help people draw closer to Christ, to help people become more like him, to help us love Jesus and to help us live for Jesus in all that we do. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. Lord, for those seasons of waiting. Father, help us to be thankful in those seasons. Help us to be thankful for those seasons. When, Lord, you can transform our hearts, our minds, the way we love, the way we serve. Father, everything that you want to do through us, Father, develop it in us. In those seasons of waiting that we might get to that destination of this road trip that you have put us on. As individuals. And as a church, Father, we want to be... All that you have called us to be, so come and shape us and come and mold us maybe that 's you here today. I want you just in your own words and in in your spirit to ask God to help you where you need help to give you strength and endurance where you need strength and endurance and to give you the power of the Holy Spirit where you need him in your life and maybe you 're here today and you just are saying I need to begin the journey of following Christ. I understand that he 's calling me to follow him, and i 'm ready to go on. On that journey. If that's you here today, I just want you to pray this simple prayer with me. It's not about my words. It's about you trusting in God on your own and in your spirit. But if that's you, I want you to pray this simple prayer with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I surrender all that I am to you. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for me, that I might be your son or your daughter. Lord, I thank you that you have forgiven me of my sins and you made me whole in a new creation. God, I want to follow you all the rest of the days of my life. Lord, help me in those seasons of waiting and struggle. Lord, where I need to learn to be your child. Father, I pray that you transform me from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen.